I figure where we'll start since we were talking about it was the fire. The fire. Should I start now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's just a conversation. Well, I was a young kid uh, just out of high school, and I was a total horror movie, basically any genre kind of movie, uh, King Kong, Godzilla, Vaughn Baudet fan, mm-hmm. uh, and my the room upstairs that I lived in was basically just begging for a match. Um, and it, I was blamed originally for the house fire that we had in 1974, February, something like that. Um, my dad thought it was me because I was a smoker. Okay. And you're so knocked out by an event like that, you're really not thinking for several weeks. And I held a date, my amount of my guilt because I really thought maybe I did start it. But my brother, his wife, and my mom all knew where the fire started. I just couldn't collect that information at the time. And it was actually my father's work, uh, electrical work, in the uh, porch downstairs. And the fire was coming up the wall where I was sleeping. Um, My mother woke me up, uh, pounding on my chest because I was half out on the smoke. Oh, really? Yeah, I was coughing quite a bit, but I was out, and she got me awake. And we lived in a little Cape Cod, Levittown home. Mm -hmm. And we were always taught, if there's a fire, it's the oil burner, which is under the stairwell, the only stairwell to get down from. So go out the window and go to the, we had a porch, Mm -hmm. and go to the edge of the porch and just hang off of it, and you're going down like three feet four feet. Mm-hmm. My mother knew where the fire was. I said, let's go out on the roof. Shh. Then I heard my brother screaming. I say, never mind. The, everything's fine. I run down. She stays up. She's on the roof waiting for me to help her, but I've already told her, let's go back down. So now me and my brother are running up and down the stairs trying to save her and, uh, we couldn't make it halfway up the stairs. The smoke was so bad. And then suddenly we heard a bang, and that was her hitting my my door. And she came down and, of course, later had a bruise running up and down her whole body from the raining, running into the door. We all made it out alive. My father was at work, and my brother and his wife were across the hall with mm-hmm. their brand-new, less-than-three-month-old mm-hmm. baby. So we all made it out. It was very traumatizing, but my room was just begging for it. I had posters, I had oh, just albums, I had comics. It was carpeted, it was paneled. It was kindling. It was, yeah, it right. was just waiting to go to the point when <clears throat> I'm standing up on my lawn at 2 30 in the morning, completely naked, happy to see everyone. <laughs> <laughs> And I watch my eight-track recorder explode out of my window and then drop. And if that wasn't like, yeah, that is a dinosaur already, isn't it? I was a smoker, and my next-door neighbor, who uh, we grew up knowing each other very well, he walked without batting an eye 
and said, are you okay? And I said, I think so. And they offered me a cigarette, and I swear to God, I said, thank you, but I just smoked a house. <laughs> yes. And at this point, there's still no fire people. And the actual fire department for my district was really quite far away. Mm-hmm. We lived on a block where there was a fire department right down the street, but it was for East Meadow, a whole other town. Oh. So we had to wait. And uh, the sad moment was that uh, my brother and his wife had a little dog, Rob Roy McPherson, they called him. And he was Robbie for short. He's kind of named after me. Um, Scotty, beautiful dog. He was the one who woke everybody up. And he was the one who died. He ran back into the house and died upstairs. So it was just one thing after another. Your whole life is gone. I got 500 bucks from my dad. That was it. Here, here's 500 bucks. I went out and bought a stereo system. And that was it. The whole house was done. The, the house was baked on the inside. It was the hottest fire on record uh, in that town for years. And the structure stayed. So we lived in a trailer on the front lawn. Oh. During the winter, it was great. We had a husky as well. Well, a Malamute as well. It was crazy and i was working in a print shop i trained vocational printing so i was working at a, a print shop at the time and, and how old were you at this time i was 19 i think okay in 19 and a half something like that yeah no it just turned 19 it was the february 3rd the day after my birthday okay so pretty sure i was 19 all right so, so. i have so much you you are a walking history of definitely independent comics in the United States. I take that burden. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there were, thank goodness there were a lot of, lot of us that were having a great time. I mean, before we, I started, Dean Mullaney had started with, with his imprint, and I was going to Phil Suling Cons going, what's this? thing I've never seen before. It's right. a graphic novel kind of thing, you know. So, um, but yeah, we were, I think, we were really lucky because we were, I think we got in there at the right time. Uh-huh. The market had already gone a little crazy over Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and everything, mm-hmm. and then that, that kind of calmed down. And uh, we got in, Diane and I got into the Kimiko at like 1985. Something. Right, so around that time you're you're publishing what at Kamiko? Um, well, when we took over, they had only done Macross number mm-hmm. one, and it was uh, a slow burn to get to number two. Okay. And uh, we had to kind of, well, Diana had to kind of strong arm the licensor and make the our Kamiko pals understand if you want this stuff out there, we got to change the system on how we create it. Because at that point, it was all being hand-painted by one lady, uh, Svea uh, Masick, who was Carl Masick's wife. Mm-hmm. And it was very true to the the original. Okay. But we didn't have 18 months to wait for the second issue. It mm-hmm. just wasn't happening. So we got almost, you know, artists, that, some of them local, because Kuniko was just starting up, um, Mike Leake, uh, homeless of folks, to be able to put it out 
every every two weeks there was a new Robotech, but they were three different series. So it'd be every six weeks when you got the next issue. Okay. Of, so when number two came out, six weeks to get number three. But there was always something coming out. And that's why we called Diana Mussolini, because she had trains to run on time, and those books were selling great. They were a huge success. Were you and Diana married at this time? No. I had proposed to her at least two or three times, and she'd always say, yeah, maybe later. <laughs> and then uh, one day as we were going in to work in Norristown at the Kaneko offices, which were retrofitted, it was like this old, You'd see on the campus, you know, some kind of frat house. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But it was doctor's row prior to this. There were a lot of doctors okay. in these houses. So anyway, we're going in. She turns the key. It's a beautiful day. And she says, you know, we're really getting slammed on taxes. We should get married. And I went, there were birds <laughs> on the hill. Like, that's it? This is the moment? That's oh, thank you, Lady Di. Yeah. So anyway, um... And eventually we did get married. That was probably around 80, 88, somewhere around there. So, I'm trying to remember. Was Fish Police Kamiko? Fish Police was Kamiko. Yeah. Yep. So was you, Steve Moncus. Yeah. 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 Okay. That was, um, how did that even come about? I can't remember. I think that was through Diana because Steve was a San Francisco kid. Mm -hmm. So, I think having known, because uh, I also, as well as Diana, knew Arthur Adams. And this is all when these guys were kids. They were 19 tops. Maybe, uh -huh. you know, Mignolo, he says, no, no, man, I was always like, all right, all right, whatever. But, I mean, you look at the old photos of Arthur with his long red hippie hair. <laughs> that's how long I've known him. But, uh, so, yeah, Fish Police came in on uh, Mostly, also a combination of Diana and Harlan Ellison. He was a big fan. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I think it was already something had been published, and then we went and took it and ran it and made it wow. bigger. So um, I think that's how it worked out. Diana would know better. Okay. But yeah, but Fish Police, we we had a lot of fun with it. We had, he had a backup called Fish Sticks, mm -hmm. and Ted yeah. McCaver did one, and, and mm. all sorts of crazy people. It was really fun to... Completely break it away. And from. so you expand the line. Yeah, we came in and we 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 got the money out of the books. We were actually making positive cash flow uh -huh. because those books were coming out so fast. And we had become the darling. Kamika, before we came out, when before Diane and I got there, they got beat up really hard. They did Kamika Primer. They did a thing called Scrog and Slaughterman and. The only one out of that that wound up being good was Grendel. Mm. Everything oh. else, I mean, literally, we they had distributors yelling so, at them oh. to stop publishing garbage. And then they did. They went color, and they proved everybody that they did have some talent. So Matt was there before you got there? Oh, yeah. Matt, uh, Is I, that how you met? No. Well, because Diane, her sister is Matt's wife? Yes. But I've known that I used to work at creation conventions. Okay. So we would do a convention in pretty much, you know, my last two years, we were doing sometimes two shows a weekend, mm. two different cities. Mm. But we would really beat the hell out of Philadelphia. We'd go back to Philadelphia and every time go, 
when are we going to bleed this place dry? But they were always really supportive, and we always made money in Philly. So there were young artists that were not yet Kamiko, and they said, hey, we want free tables. And uh, Adam Malin or whoever decided, well, we'll give you a free table or two, but they've seen, because of this costume period, they had seen the Jerry Giovinco's Ben Grimm costume. Mm-hmm. So they said, you go out and entertain the line every morning <laughs> for two hours or an hour, ask Ben Grimm and have your plastic cigar and go, hey, kids, and then we'll give you tables. So that's where I met Matt first, uh, Matt and Jerry Giovinco and Phil Sorta. They were all college kids being treated like crap by their college. That's what happened. They, they decided, wow, we're being chastised by our the people were paying to educate us. Right. And they all split. They, they were walked. at the, uh, the art school there. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget the name of the actual place, but art and design or whatever. But yeah, um, so Matt quit. They all quit and they started up. And again, it was a lot of, you know, they were trying hard, but Matt had the, the right recipe. He actually mm-hmm. had a visual sense of storytelling. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, so we came in after that. Um, and uh, managed to get everything out on time. And then there wasn't just me and Diana. It was Phil Lasorda and Jerry to some degree. Jerry was a little more difficult to deal with than Phil. But uh, to put it mildly, um, but we were like, hey, we love all this star lasers. All this stuff is really cool. Uh, and, of course, you know, back when all this was happening as I was being hired, uh, I kept saying, you know, Diana, you know, you know, Buck Diana. And they had known Diana, and it was an incredible boys club. I mean, it is still an incredible yeah, boys yeah. club, but it was an incredible boys club. And no matter where I went, I was always going to be, but, 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 even to Dark Horse, but, but Diana. But the guys, you know, Phil and Jerry were like, no, we're just going to hire you to be our marketing director. And then within, I think, several weeks, if not just maybe two months, Diana was on board because they realized, oh, shoot, this girl knows her stuff. I bring that up because we were all Johnny Quest fans, mm-hmm. all of us. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know the name Doug Wildey, but the girl did. Oh. The girl said, why aren't we calling Doug Wildey? And the big, stupid boys went, huh? <laughs> Who the, who's that? And uh, boom, you know, we called up. Doug Wiley, or probably Diana did, yeah. and got the deal going. So, you know, she she had a huge influence on, on what we were doing. Okay. So you go from from Comico is what's after Comico? Um, after Comico. What Comico. was after Comico? Dark Horse. Well, I was at Graffiti Designs with yeah, Bob Chapman. Right, right, right. Okay. For a brief eight months. <laughs> the t-shirt years. The t-shirt years. The t-shirt era. I was back in my old printing job, boxing up stuff to go off and send somebody envelopes for their airline or whatever. But I was boxing up Batman t-shirts at this point. And we were actually had the right motivation because Kamiko had just failed they went bankrupt okay okay and so diane and i had to leave and um we got married we 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 went out to california got married in montreal then went back 
and I started working at Graffiti Designs. And our plan was, let's, you know, we, Bob and I both know so many, you know, Dave Stevens, all these people, let's just form a new Flory Dory show. And with it, I still call them eight of the worst months of my life. We <laughs> spent in Anaheim Mills. It was just not good. <laughs> Everything, and, you know, is it the point when age started to go, Hi. How old were you? Hi. Oh, gosh. Where were we at that point? Oh, don't make me do math. Uh, I was like 30, almost 40, I think. Oh, okay. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah, age does it. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, oh, you're losing your hair. Why? Stress. Uh, oh, <laughs> your car has a flat tire. Why? Stress. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't say that word anymore. <laughs> it was just horrible. And uh, I... Just cut my hair. I went to the Royal Disney Building because they were looking for uh, the head of the publishing department. I, I made a good friend there because I said, why is it that you can't buy any Disney comic books at your theme parks? Pretty good. <laughs> that was the end of that interview. It's like, because they disdain, they hate them. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're there now, but they're there in a much higher format, right. more expensive because it's a garbage medium to them. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, um, now I'm lost in my ramblings. No, so you're at Graffiti Design. Yeah, so I was at Graffiti, and uh, it just didn't work out. Uh, Bob was very busy in this Batman craze, getting the Right, so the out. Batman, the very first Batman yes, comes out. The first one, which I knew the minute I saw the marketing campaign. I went, oh, this is just going to crush. I don't know how bad it is. I don't care how bad it is. It was the best marketing campaign I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's just a bad signal. That and like it. Jim had pointed out, there was no real comic merchandising for a market beyond the comic shop at right. that time. Right, yeah, yeah. No, it was a strange time. They were just caught off guard. Um, and really, once again, we all know, thanks to Frank Miller, that wouldn't exist because... You know, that's all he did was walk around with the book. I wanted to look like this. Tim Burton did. Tim Burton did. Okay. Yeah, uh, and it it did just to a large degree. Sure, sure. Um, you know, it had that kind of I don't know, thirties grandiosity. And you knew you know. Frank at yeah. this time. Uh, yeah, I knew Frank. Uh, I had met Frank in nineteen. Casually, or you were friendly? Um, let's see. On my way to Dark Horse, right? Is eighty nine. It was a little more than casual. Yeah, it was a little and more than casual. And did you just casual. know him from the conventions? From stuff? the conventions and, yeah, just hanging okay. out, you know. Um, first time I met him, uh, I was standing backstage and I had given uh, the back of the theater and I had given uh, Kerry O'Quinn, who was the head of uh, the publisher of uh, Starlog. Mm-hmm. I let him, uh, yeah. yeah, I let him introduce Ray Harryhausen for the first time to comic book fandom in New York. I I got Ray uh, through my good friend Larry, but I got Ray, and it was like, okay, if we want to work with Starlog, why don't we give him a little peck on the cheek and let him get up and say, ladies and gentlemen of New York fandom, mm-hmm. Ray Harryhausen. So I'm in the back of the room, happy and proud, and uh, I look over, and it's Frank Miller. And I'm pretty sure he has no idea who I am. So I go, but you know, I'm running the show, and it's like, damn, had I known he was here, we could have put his name on the marquee, you know? Well, so at this point, 
where was Frank Miller in terms of what he was, was doing? 83, so 82, he probably dared okay. at the time, yeah. Okay. So I just look over and I go, um, Frank? And he looks at me like, huh? And I go, Bob Shrek. He goes, I know who you are. <laughs> so so I'm processing that he knows who I am. And he did because we did have interactions and I figured he doesn't know me. But this is when we really clicked. And uh, I'm, I stu- he's sitting in the back listening to Ray Harryhausen and I stupidly ask, why are you here? And he goes, <laughs> I didn't say it. He just went on listening to this guy basically, shut up, Shrek. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I'll shut up and go away. Um, so we became fast friends uh, at, uh, after that point. You know? Okay, but I want to come right back yeah. to that, but just real quick, you said Lar- a friend Larry. My friend Larry, yeah. Uh, knew Ray Harryhausen. Well, no, what happened, Ray Harryhausen did a thing at the... Uh, Natural Museum, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh, it was during the Clash of the Titans. The, the, yeah. The, his, yeah. And it was his, Larry walked up to him at this lot, and there was hardly many people there. And he said, uh, I'm a huge fan. Would it be possible that I could send you a fan letter? Can we get your address? And in Ray's handwriting on this Clash of the Titans stationery was his address in England. So I, I knew about that for like two years. And uh, it didn't dawn on me until later. And creation said, hey, uh, program your own show. And, you know, bring in your own guests. Oh, oh, you you book them and, the, you know, the company will pay for it. And I went, Larry, give me a damn address. I still have his letters, really great letters from Ray. Right. Yeah. And uh, he was fantastic. And I'm this overweight, bad hair, hippie kid picking him up at the airport. And uh, I'm like, he must think we're going to die. I'm going to kill him or something. <laughs> and uh, we got him to his hotel in uh, Manhattan. And I wanted to, you know, let him have his personal space. And uh, Mr. Harry Housen, and he goes, I'm just about to leave you. But Bob. Didn't you want to see Guanji? Like, <laughs> okay, I'll see Guanji. And there I was in his room, and he just, and all the, so many of the great creatures he did. He just brought them with him? He brought them with him in the suitcase that he carried on the plane. Uh, were they just getting banged around in the suitcase? Yeah, but they're rubber, so. And to him, just like Doug Wally, he was leaning, Doug Wally was the guy who created Johnny Glass. When I first meet him, he's leaning on his artwork. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Bobby, it's just artwork. (laughs) (laughs) And that was Ray's attitude. It was like, well, I mean, he kept them as nice as he could. Sure. Um, But he, you know, he just said, here's Wanji. And I'm standing there holding this thing that when I was a kid just blew my brain out, you know. Yeah, it was, and it it was great. And we got to work on uh, a Dark Horse, um, and did a King Kong, Ray Harryhausen's King Kong, so he sculpted I it. That. Yeah. I that. So yeah, but he was a phenomenal, phenomenal guy. And I'm off on another tangent. Well no, that's fine. I wanted to go there. So yeah. back to Frank Miller. So now um you're starting to get to Yeah, I'm doing more Frank. and more shows and I'm getting to see him more often. And uh and then when Dark Horse happened, uh, after the eight months at uh, 
And it, I was not a happy camper at dark at the graffiti. I'm sorry. Right. So uh, <laughs> I think Dave Stevens, or maybe it was this guy John Kukasakis, who was really close to myself and Rob Chapman and Dave Stevens. Somebody said they called Richardson uh, after they heard me answer the phone at graffiti. Went, you have to hire Shrek because he's just going to kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> so. Always good. Be good to your friends because they'll be good to you, and that's how that worked. It's like Richardson called up, and we said, "Yeah." And he brought us up in March. What did what, what position was offered to you initially? I was the marketing guy. Okay, I, yeah, the marketing director, which I did for the first three years, I guess. How, when did you step into editorial? Oh, that was a kind of a. Mexican standoff, they call him. Okay. He, you know, everybody gets tired of their marketing people eventually. Right. You know, so he was being uh, frustrated by my pushing back on some things. I mean, I ran an ad, but he wouldn't let me do the ad the way I wanted to, so I had to settle for a small, smaller ad. But, uh, which one was it? Blue Velvet. Uh, hotter than Georgia asphalt. Yeah, blue velvet. And she says to Sailor, Sailor, mm-hmm. you got me hotter than Georgia asphalt. Right, right. Aliens pre- versus Predator, number one came out, or number two. Mm-hmm. And that was my kind of thing, like, hotter than Georgia asphalt. <laughs> Aliens versus Predator, you know? And he's like, I don't like it. Like, <laughs> trying to sell books to people who are alive now. You know? So, yes. Um, <clears throat> So, yeah, so eventually, you know, I did have all these great relationships with creators because I was doing those cons mm-hmm. and I was reading their books. And thanks to Diana, I got a bigger picture of, of the more independent, you know, uh, side of things, you know, like Pete Bag and right. all that stuff. I was more into it when I was younger at the Glass Onion when I was like 13, uh-huh. you know, the head shop. <laughs> but I kind of, you know, Larry, my friend who got me Ray's address, right. he turned me into a Marvel freak. Okay. And I was 14 or 13, and uh-huh. I hadn't really read comics much. I had the Fong Day stuff. And, uh-huh. But anyway, uh, and then a few years in, I once I saw Swamp Thing, I went, oh, my God. Yeah. And that was, that was it for me. I stopped reading Marvel. Which is DC. Yeah, I went over to DC. But mostly uh, their horror stuff. Uh, you know, they're weirder. Was this Alan Moore's one thing? No, this, this was the very that. first. This was way before that. I was right in when Bernie Lane. Right, yeah, right, right. This, right. They were guys I would see every convention I did. So I knew them you just before. Got to know everyone. Yeah, yeah. I was really very like, you know, it's where you are. I was born. A few miles away. You know, if I had known, I could have gone to Jack Kirby's house. What? He was, he was right, like, four towns over, five towns over. Frank Fazetta was one one town over, Merrick. And Merrick. I could have walked to his place. I drove by his place, I'm sure, for a nearby. Oh, my like, God. Yeah. You don't find this stuff out until, you know, of years later. Way later. Yeah, it's like, damn. I was 13 again. Yeah, I mean, Frank Miller grew up in Olney, Maryland? Is that... I'm sorry, what? Frank Miller grew up in Olney, Maryland? Is it Olney? 
No, I thought he was a, a Connecticut boy or Vermont. 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 But yeah. Vermont. Vermont. He moved down to Maryland at some point. In yeah, his... he lived there with uh, Lynn. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, that, he... that town was like 20 minutes from where mm-hmm. I lived. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then Frank, I went to that house. Frank got to New York, though, in the mid-70s, right? And went into the studio with yep. Chicken, Walt Simonson. Yep, yep. Cavs was there for a minute. He was part of the, um, what do they call them, the Rusty Bunkers? Oh, what's their name? Uh, he was he was, he's a, he was in the Neil Adams right, group. Yes, right. Lynn right. Varley was there. That's right. He okay. was, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, there were all these clumps of... People that gravitated together. Yeah. 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 I was uh, one of the unofficial members of the studio, which was the Bernie Wrights and those four guys. Who Uh, who was that studio? It was Bernie. It was Bernie, Mike Faluda, Barry Windsor Smith, and Jeff Jones. Oh, Jeff Jones. Jeff Jones. Catherine Jones. Yeah. Holy shit. So I was apparently the least scary fan. (laughs) <laughs> up there it's, it's like really <laughs> there's this little rat kid you know but they liked me and uh, you know, when Bernie took me under his wing he was a sweetheart so uh, yeah he was a great great man alright so you step into editorial at Dark Horse they, they had me Dark Horse Presents <laughs> right like, <laughs> good luck with an anthology uh, yeah. here we go <laughs> like, here we go so what's your <laughs> modus operandi uh, thankfully, it wasn't handed too hot of a potato mm-hmm. because if you're a smart editor, you're juggling way out before there's a real crunch. So you're commissioning tons of, you know, eight-page, you know, stories or chapters of eight-page stories. So you just build that up and let it sit. And then you go. So Randy Stradley did a great job of not making me go straight to hell. So, so I, I had a good buffer, and I just started bringing in people that I was checking out. You know, like Brubaker. Oh, God, this guy's, you know, uh, what was the name of that book? Low Life, right? Right, right. Low Life. Right. Low yeah. Life. Yes. Yes. Like, yeah. wow, this guy's really good. And I'd pair him up uh, with an artist that I thought would really help him mm-hmm. because a lot of his art was fun. Right. I can get somebody to be even more fun. He's but a writer. The fans, you know, he was a real, so his strength was writing. You know? Right. And there's a way of putting that. Right, right. <laughs> You're going to get paid for writing. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, so that was the fun of it. Um, uh, uh, Roberta Gregory, um, um, Renee French. I mean, just, you know, like. She's the best. She was the She's like the sickest mind I've ever met. <laughs> She's so great. Um, you know, her stuff makes you kind of crawl, you know, in its own way. You're like, oh, this, I don't know why this is disturbing, but it really is. Right, right. Uh, and, and that was it for her. She's like, yes. <laughs> um, I was in Chicago, <clears throat> I guess, um, doing the Chicago Comic Con at Kaneko, I guess, and I saw Ivan Brunetti, Brunetti uh, set up there, and that was yes. it for me. I just cried. <laughs> oh man, you know, you make John Waters like into a cupcake. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just so foul. I was yeah. shocked at how nice he is as a person. He is, I was so nervous. I thought it. for sure we're gonna have to just lock him up. 
But a nicest guy, you know. Great dude. Midwestern yeah. guy. Yeah. Okay. Just the nicest. It was just me, him, and Sammy Harkham at a convention like four or five years ago in Buenos Aires. We were the only three Americans. And I knew Sammy. Right. And I was like, fuck, I didn't. He's going to be there. He's cast. He's going to hate me. He's going to hate my shit. Sweetest, nicest, nicest dude in the guy. world. We all hung yeah, out every day, day, every we night. We all do that. He's drank, ate, yep. talked comics. And I'm like, he's just a, a guy. Because I was reading Schizo when I was in college. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, this is the darkest, <laughs> most disturbing comic book I've ever read. Yeah. And I've read Crumb. But funny. But hysterical. <laughs> Hysterically but funny. I, but he was calling out people by name in his office that he wanted to murder. <laughs> he was like, Sally Smith. I want to murder her. And it's like, dude, this is... You don't get arrested for that. Absolutely. But it was, it was me and my hilarious. friends at the time were like, this is the most gangster shit yeah. ever. Yeah. yeah. I fell in love with it. You know, oh. I actually have a, an original of his in, in, our, in our bathroom. Oh, wow. It's the family circus thing. Uh -huh. Only <clears throat> the little boy is yelling back. The little girl's behind the little boy. And the... Uh, all you see is the father kneeling down from waist down, and uh, he's kind of exploded, and his <laughs> rear is just full of poo. <laughs> and the kid is saying, Mommy, Daddy Felch farted again. Yes. <laughs> yes. Censorship. So Censorship, right? We, we need to speak the truth. So wrong. But yeah, just disturbing as hell. So... All right, so you're, you're editing Dark Horse Presents, but when, so when does Sin City come into play there? Sin City, I was still marketing oh, at that, was that before time. before you came? Yep. Oh. And because we had a friendship and Frank, you know, knew that I was on his side, he wanted to make sure that certain things didn't happen. And he said, uh, do me a favor. Don't spend a billion dollars over marketing this. Because I could be falling flat on my face. With Sin City? Yep. I thought, like, Sin City, like, you were responsible for that mm -mm. happening. No, um, it was a combination of us coming to Dark Horse. Diana had known Frank way back uh, okay. before she met me. Um, so... Him knowing me and seeing what we did at Kaneko, mm -hmm. all those things. And then Mike Richardson did something very smart um, until he screwed it up. <laughs> but he, for the first time, because you got to remember, Frank came in through the machine. Right, right, right. He was never given any kind of what we thought in the 80s was a thing called respect. Right, <laughs> right, right. You know, sign the voucher. And take it on the heel and toe. Right. So Mike sat him down and went, this is how much marketing costs. This is how much the printing costs. This is how much this costs. This is this, this, that. This is the art. This is what we pay here. Here's where it is. This And Frank was like, whoa, I'm seeing the world, a new world. Mike's mistake, albeit, um, and the surface, a smart one, he said, I want to give you, Frank, 90% of the sales, and Dark Horse will take 10, and Frank went, no. 
50-50. You got to make something out of this because if you're not making any money, they're going to get tired of me hanging around. Right, right. And it hadn't been done yet. I mean, he hadn't, you know, I mean, he, he right. probably started drawing, but he didn't have to do a rehearsal for Mike Richardson. It was, yeah, we want to do this book. So he smartly negotiated that down his own share, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that may have changed over time, but mm-hmm. Frank was very smart. But it, it wasn't even a book. It, it was it was chapters right yeah. in Dark in DHP. DHP. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And around that time, you've got Hellboy pop up at DHP as well, right? Yeah, actually, Hellboy was, I think, the first, uh, first issue that I inherited DHP. So I really didn't edit. I did kind of make sure before it went to the printer it was all right. printing. But I think those were all edited by Randy. And, okay. But that was the beginning. And, you know, and I, again, I'd known Mike since he was okay. a kid. So uh, it was, he was very happy to be working with me. And, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, so at this point, you and Diana are still married? We're married at Dark Horse um, for, I think our marriage lasted... A year, almost two years. It's about two years, I think, tops. Um, no, I'm good, thank you. Um, yeah, it was somewhere between a year and a half. We had been living together for years. Uh-huh. Joked that, ha, one day we're going to get married and screw it up. And then we did. You know, we got married, and then the next thing you know, we're, we're getting divorced. And that was a rough time, because... During some of that time, either during or just after, Diana was my boss. Oh, yeah. So it was a pretty, it was a very complicated situation. So, and then, not to interrupt, but no, when, no, go ahead. Go ahead. When, so, Bob, can you? I mean, if you're comfortable talking about it, like, when did you become one of the first people to sort of come out in comics and be like, okay, I was married to a woman who right. was in comics or a partnership, but I also am a bi mm-hmm. man. I'm a, like, because oh, you, well, you, you're a fucking groundbreaker, dude. Like, no one's going to say it. Like, no, but, and we were talking about history but... at dinner tonight before we did this interview and how kids don't know about this shit. And like, we're living in a woke era of yeah. everyone's included, but they don't know the trailblazers who had to eat shit. <laughs> Right, and right, you're right. one of those trailblazers. People who so like, paved the way. How and when did you decide to be like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna just tell people who I am"? Well, that was the third time I came out. So the first time, I think uh, I was very young. I think I was eleven or twelve, mm-hmm. and I came out to my parents. My mother lost it, and my father said, uh, "You're gonna have a horrible life, but I love you, son." And that is like the few times that he's ever said or even made you feel like that. He was a pretty rough guy. Um, and then the second time I was, uh, I think, 16. Well, but what happened after the first time? Uh, they just filed it under, we're not going to talk were about you, it. Were you saying I'm gay or I'm bisexual? Back the first time I thought it was gay because okay. I didn't know. And yet the first puppy love I had was with Regina Michaels okay. in uh, some in Catholic school. I think it was in first or second grade or whatever it was, you know. Um, beautiful little blonde-haired girl, and we went off to 
Jolly Rogers and made one of those Bob Loves, you know, Regina <laughs> things. It was really embarrassing, <laughs> you know. But anyway, um, you know, as I also matured, and I was beginning to realize, oh, I, you know, there were, I'd look at the girl on the TV show, and then, oh, her brother doesn't look bad either. You know? <laughs> it was just this thing. I waited years before I, told, I gave Billy Mooney that look. Movie. The guy from Lost in Space, the okay. little boy. Oh, okay. He was kind of my age when he was on TV. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, I'm 11 or 12, and so is he, and it's like, whoa. So not only did Angela Cartwright get my attention, but Billy did. Like right. I said, I waited years before I told him. I was like, I don't want to hear about it, Bob. You know. Right. Yeah. I had a crush on you when I was 12, you know. So you did tell him. Yeah, yeah, it took me years to, I've known him for years, and finally he went, I just gave him that look, and he went, oh, stop it. Wow, it was yeah. really good. But anyway, yeah, um, where was I? All right, so you uh, told, the first time Yeah, was, the third time was when... Um, but what, like, so what happens, so you, you they say, just let it you go. tell your parents you're gay, yeah, and yeah. that you don't, nothing, you don't do Dude, it, you don't I act can, on it? Oh, I was active. Okay, okay. I was active by the age of... Probably so then, 10 or 11. So then how, then what's the point of coming out again if you've come because out? Because they ignored it. Right. You And you ignore it. You're like, I said it, it's uh, done, and it's uh, uncomfortable, and let's just go on. Okay. You know, and when, when I say 10 or 11, we weren't doing anything sure, sure. overly crazy, you know. We were just kind of, whoa. Um, so the last time was... Uh, I was in a band, and I was probably the ha- well after the house burned down. Mm-hmm. I was still working uh, in printing shops, mm-hmm. and I hated it. My fingernails were full of ink, and my hands were gross. And chemicals all day. It was just mm-hmm. really a grind. And my brother Dean sat me down and said, "Well, what do you want to do?" And up until that point, I had been singing. And performing in my back little room, making my neighbors think that there's an insane person. <laughs> I was singing all these records, Chicago, Tall, mm-hmm. all Moody Blues, and did it. And I became a bit of a parrot. And I could kind of do anybody's voice. Right. And I said, he said, What do you want to do? And I said, I want to sing. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. And I started a band. And uh, within. I don't know, within two months, I had a bass player, a drummer, flute player, lived on my block. Yes. A younger kid who I didn't, I knew the family, but I was like, yeah, right, he's two years younger than me, get out of here. You know? <laughs> the bass player knew him, it's like, we're going to do tall. My friend Ronnie can play. <clears throat> he really couldn't. Um, <laughs> he was really bad. <laughs> Love you, Ronnie, but man, he was really bad. Um <laughs> But we started a band, and it became, you know, we were a band that was, we had a truck, and we toured the tri-state area for several years doing prog rock cover, uh-huh. which we were not alone. You, you you could only do maybe two clubs on the island where you could do originals, My Father's Place and another one. Uh-huh. Everything else was cover bands, Led Zeppelin cover bands. Right. And then we saw Rocky Horror, and I went, oh, 
I know this world, you know, <laughs> just from the opening that, lyrics. That has been a game changer. It was blew that. us away. Yeah. And then Bob, the bass player, learned all the music. I knew it, you uh-huh. know, I just had to listen to it a few times. And then we actually created a Rocky Horror View, and Bob was our Frank and Furter. <laughs> and he, he looked great, you know. Wow. I was a very fat riffraff <laughs> and an ample-sized meatloaf. So uh, <laughs> that rock. should be the name of my uh, just ample size music. Yeah, yeah, ample just size rocking music. it though. Yeah, just having fun. We had a blast. Um, did all the stupid things that you're supposed to do when you're in a rock band. Mm-hmm. You know, painted LSD on my forehead before I went out for the Rocky Horror Show. I was so high, and I wasn't. You, I mean, when you yeah. say paint, you mean you're actually the liquid. Well, you painted no, the, no, 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 no. I the put letters. the letters LSD okay. on my forehead, but I was very high. We were drinking that night and doing other things. And, uh, of course, when I wrote it on my head, it was backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the gal that was doing my makeup was like, you jerk. So she had the redo on my face again because I was all white and bloody. Uh, and she got it right. There's a famous photo of me with a microphone in my hands with LSD. Yes. Oh, that's it was so a great bad. night. It was a great night. So we had a guy that followed us. Uh, he knew the drummer or something, and he was a really good photographer. So mm-hmm. we were lucky. We had a lot of great shots. That's shit. Yeah. So yeah. So that was it. And I was starting the band, and I was so happy that I almost drove a car into a wall because no one knew. And I felt like a liar. I felt. I can't do this anymore. Uh, I, if I have to live like this for the rest of my life, so you were I mean, just—you were carrying this like a burden. Yeah, I was suicidal. I really thought about this is it. I sat in the car and looked at the. We had the thing called the Village Greens, and they're these old brick nineteen forties, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just sat there, just thinking, well, I could just just drive right in, back up, and just. I didn't, and then we went on a uh, trip to see my bass player's best buddy, Mm -hmm. and on the way down, I came out to him, and uh, yes, I had a crush on him, but he was straight, and that was that, you know, we were were still super close to this day. So he was, when you told him there was no judgment, there was no problem. No, he was amazing. Awesome. Tell my brother and his wife, as we're going to a tropical aquarium store, and I go, uh, I'm bisexual. <laughs> Meg just slams the door and goes, we know. And they walk. <laughs> like, thanks. Thanks for coming that's to the party. Kinda, that's kind of what happened to my daughter when she told me. Like, yeah, we, we, we know. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And I'm sure that's how my, my father in particular reacted even though he had to let me know both times that it was a horrible life. Oh, right, uh, right. But I love you. Um, he knew. Because they know. You're walking right. around doing shit. It's like, right. He would always say to my mom, no tense. Boys don't need that much privacy. Uh, it's like, well, perhaps father might be able to... <laughs> never mind. <laughs> so, All right, but but yeah. so that had nothing to do with the divorce with Diana. No. Diana and I met uh, over a Howard the Duck t-shirt mm-hmm. 
that she remembered four months later and sent to me because she worked at the biggest comic book retailer in Northern Cal. Mm -hmm. And I would do shows with her company, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really know her. I just went, hey. She said, oh, we're out of them. I said, oh, okay. Figured that was it, but she remembered me and went, oh, he works for Creation. I'm going to send him a 3XL. And that was when I was doomed. (laughs) <laughs> this beautiful handwriting on this bag. I'm like, what the hell is this? And I open it up, you know, oh, that girl. Uh, <laughs> You're like Hardy T. Car in the American Splendor movie where he's like, man, she's got really nice handwriting. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, it was like right out of that. I was like, oh my God. The little know? details <laughs> yeah, yeah. of uh, what make women so fascinating. Yes. And the real nice handwriting goes a long way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 In the analog days of actual mail. Yes. Oh, she, you know, we had a pretty raucous, but very uh, deep um, two-year cross-country relationship. Mm -hmm. And I've got, I still have them, the letters that she would type on postcards or triple postcards and all this stuff. And I'd call. Yeah. This bastard that I I, had. All right, so you're uh, going through a divorce, and she's your boss. Yeah. Um, it was tough. The, the entire situation was not conducive to being happy when you walked in every day. Sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, no. So what happened between me and her is we met. We had this relationship. She said, I'm going to move out you and we'll move in together i said no 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 you're gonna rent the room around the corner let's be boyfriend and girlfriend mm-hmm. in the same town for a while okay. and see now up until then i was 30 i was third 29 or 30 i still lived at home but i was in a band and i was never there yeah. i was just always right. going so anyway she moved around the corner almost worked at marvel well she did for four days and then quit and, uh, but before she moved out, well, very early in our hanging out, I was, she flew out to New York for a visit. I took her out to a nice Italian meal, and I sat her down, and I said, before we go any further, you should know that I'm bisexual. Okay. Way early in the relationship, way before we moved in together. And she said, okay. And that was that. She was not freaked out about it. She was cool with it. And uh, and it was our agreement, you know, for all that time. Eventually... And there was, what year is this, you think, around? Around 82 or 83, somewhere around there. 80, yeah, 83, 82. Mm-hmm. So I'd imagine to, at that time, to be able just to know, to accept, your bisexuality, but also to tell someone. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had already told all my, you know, friends. Right. But to tell a woman that to you're tell interested a woman in. that I'm interested in, yeah. I just, I'm not going to live a lie to her. I'm not going to do that. I have to be me. And that's, I mean, that's that. pretty fucking amazing. I, I couldn't, I, there was no other right. choice for me. It's like, yeah. you have to know this. And, uh, and she was cool with it. Absolutely cool with it. Okay. So, how long are you at? Dark Horse now, after the, or through the divorce, or after the divorce? 
let's see, it's probably, was I still marketing? The divorce was before you were in editorial. Uh, the divorce was just probably, yeah, before I was in editorial. So, um, yeah, it, you know, it was, it was a rough ride. I'm trying to think of, mm -hmm. uh, okay. It's earlier than I thought. Yeah. So when, so when you're in editorial, you get DHP and then are you then, you're then become the editor on the Sin City books post the first DHP. Right, DHP right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, so Jane McKilfor was you. No. No? no, I was not there until the big fat kill. Yeah, and then I did the yellow. No, wait. Yeah, yellow. And then big yellow fat Bastard. kill. Then yellow bastard. Yeah, those yeah. two I did. Okay. We did a lot of little short stories together. Yeah, like Silent Night. Yep. Okay. That, that was, was my favorite. That was my that favorite was too. Really that was my favorite. favorite. Me too. I love and that. Originally debuted in DHP. No. Silent Night. No, no, it was my book that I did with Frank. Shit, okay. That's how it appeared. That, there's nothing on the cover. Yes. Yeah, right, right. So it's like it's, it's own one spot. shot little. Yeah, it was just, matte, matte yeah. finish yep. on the. Yeah, that was that my baby. Yeah, I told Frank right out. You, this is it. It's like really. I said, yeah, this is it. You know, <laughs> yeah. I love it. Hey, it was juice. How much money you spend for like a three second read? You didn't read it, fuck face. You didn't read it. Oop, I shouldn't have said fuck face. <laughs> But, no, no, you can say Yeah, because, you know, no, that's not a three second. It's just like, um, dude, I went back and, and forth. forth and right. Back and well, forth. the whole book is, yeah, you're plodding yeah. to yeah. the snow yeah. as you're yeah. reading it. Um, I'm trying to remember that. Kafka, which was a book that came out through Renegade, I think. Um, I remember. Denny, Denny Lubera, yeah. who used to be married to Dave Sin. Um, Kafka is another book where uh, Steve Siegel wrote it. Right. I don't remember. Are there any words? I don't recall. But it's oh, it's yeah, good question. It's, yeah, it's, good there question. are. It's beyond sparse. It's almost all Stefano Godiano's right. amazing mm -hmm. work. And uh, everybody, oh, oh, what was the point? Oh, you didn't really read it. You didn't really get it. You know. I just realized my first published work that I wrote was me trying, like, that Silent Night was so deep in my soul. Mm -hmm. The first thing I did that Kevin Eastman published that I wrote was a black and white noir story with no words. There you go. Oh, there, yeah. there you go. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. That was the, the inspiration. It, it, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that's a beautiful... That's, the thing that's great about comics is they're not a movie and they're not a book. They are what they are. Right, you right. Know? I was a movie snob until I was until I met my buddy Larry. Oh yeah. It's like just... so. Sin City at the time it was a groundbreaker. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, from the outside looking in, that was my perception of it. Which, uh, yeah, it was. A, it really blew everybody it, away. For uh, I, I'm, the reason I keep bringing Frank into this mm -hmm. is because that's why I'm doing this. Right. It wasn't, I didn't grow up in superhero comics. Right. I didn't even discover comics till I was 15. And I read some superhero comics. The The first one I read that got me even interested was Dark Knight Returns. Right. So then it was just following him and then it was like Sin City was like, yes, like yeah. that's all I want to yeah. do. And even yeah. Hellboy too. Like, 
Yeah, and he pared it down. And, you know, his whole, the other reason why, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it was really innovative. You went that high contrast, you know, black and white. It's like, well, if I do another four-color epic, I'll be gone from the racks for another three years. And if I do a black and white, I can be there every month. Mm-hmm. And so he did, he divided and he went for this high contrast uh, uh, technique that he, I think he said uh, Dick Giordano actually taught him when he was a younger man. And nobody was doing that, you know? I mean, there's also from looking at this. Oh, yes. Do you know what I mean? What is this, that? This oh, was uh, the stuff that... Oh, Munoz. Yes. This is pre-Sun right. City. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but that Storanko book, where yeah. the Chandler thing, that Storanko right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. he was taking panels right from that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's... But that Munoz... This is awesome. 80s, though. Yeah, so when no. you don't know this, and you only know Sin City, yeah. and you see this, you're like, oh, oh wait a minute. shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and okay. again, every but Frank took this though and even took it twisted it. Else, it yeah. mm-hmm. So he, not, it's not a direct, yeah, it's, it's not no, a direct no, bite. It's the same it's thing where you say, uh, you know, oh, so and so ripped this one off. No, you just didn't look in the right yeah. index. Right. You know, uh, <clears throat> those just listening, I can't see us. We're looking at Sinner by Jose Munoz. Munoz, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, classic you know, shit. Yeah, yeah, it's like. A few younger folks that I know will <clears throat> say that uh, you know, oh, Eric Clapton, he's he's he ripped off all the black musicians. Wow. It's like, yeah, I say that about Zeppelin too. Yeah, it's like just leave them, leave them alone. This is yeah. they they fell in love with yeah. something. They're not misappropriating. They, it's yeah, in their they bones. Had a love for it. They had a yeah. So the Beatles were schmucks because they fell in love. Everything's influenced by something. Yeah, everything's influences everything else, you know? So, yeah. um. So, Bob, when did you start looking at portfolios at conventions? Like, when you, so... Creation. Okay. Because we did art contests. Yeah. So So you weren't even technically editorial, not that it mattered, but you were already looking at young kids... And you, and that's a specific thing to develop as an aesthetic and becoming a tastemaker and knowing like, this kid has it, this kid doesn't, this kid has storytelling chops, this kid doesn't, like, that's a skill in itself is like recognizing talent. Yeah, finding, finding that diamond in the rough and say, oh, you got it. And that's a combination of their attitude and their understanding of what they're trying to do on the, you know, you get a guy in his 20s with a ballpoint pen, mm-hmm. you got a problem. Yeah. Um, uh, people that are in their 20s who aren't, <clears throat> who are still drawing on little sheets of paper with lines through it and stuff, it's like, <laughs> you know, and so that's when you really got to work. It's like, well, you know, uh, you know, you got to do yeah. this, you got to do that. Now move on because... Odds are you're not going to be going that way. Like know? certain kids that don't even know the mechanics. Don't, the yeah, yeah, and they're just it. imitating for the sake of imita- imitation, you know. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I was doing that. I was almost uh, beat, beaten twice by a father, uh, irate that his son did not win the art contest. I'm 
God. Once, in, once in Detroit, and I think the other one was in uh, Texas, I think. The guy was livid. Security had something pull him away. Uh, I'm like, okay, we're done now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My son's a genius. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Not really. Not really. <laughs> I mean, you should have seen uh, it. You know, um, the kid was horrible. All right, yeah. so Sin City, so you did. You did Yellow Bastard and yeah, and, um, okay. A day, uh, yeah. Not a Damon Kill, Big Fat Kill, Big Fat Kill, right? Yeah. So at Dark Horse, you're doing well. Yeah. Um. So what makes you want to and why did when, I quit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> when Diana and I got there, we believe we made the entire Dark Horse team. A group of eight, or maybe ten, but no more than that. Mm-hmm. And we came in, and we got a standing ovation from everybody. It was very embarrassingly weird. Like, <laughs> and that was our Kimiko years that they were like, you guys are great. Plus, I was watching Dark Horse as they were growing. Right. While I was the number three publisher, they were just starting with Boris the Bear. Okay. Which which made them some yeah. money, yeah, 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 yeah. made them some money. So I was, I was being who I am. My mom taught me to be polite and nice, and we used to have these things called distributors. <laughs> Not distributor. Yeah. yeah. So back then there were many distributors, and we would go to each one of their main sites, mm-hmm. and each publisher would sit in a room with the main people from the distributor. And tell them, this is what we're going to do next year. And here's what else we're going to do. But if you were at D- if you worked at DC, and you tried to go sit in the Marvel room, you know when they're doing their presentation, yeah. ain't going to happen. Well, the guys from Dark Horse didn't know, so they're moving. They're going to walk into the whatever DC and like, guys, guys, come here. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Come over here. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know. I was like, okay, well now you do. That sort of thing kept happening, and they were like, hey, this guy Shrek, all right. right. Once again, when I was getting hired in Dark Horse, like, but Diana. And then they went, oh, what? And they realized how great she was, and she got hired. She didn't want to, but she did it. So anyway, yeah, um, I left because when I started there, there were 10 people or however many. <clears throat> there was all sorts of problems with the words, uh, it was called the ID 97, which was Independence Day 97, which meant by then, Dark Horse would no longer be, be arrogant and unresponsive. And that message really was started by me and Diana for two years prior to that, because that's how everyone else that was working there as a freelancer felt about Mike. Because he was never answering calls. And I'm sorry, Mike, but that's what was going on. So once it hit Mike, finally, he said, all right, that's it. Everybody's got to return a call within 24 hours, including me. They later that changed. (laughs) So, um, So I was being accused by Lou Bank as being the epitome of arrogance and unresponsiveness because a certain package came in that didn't come to me. It got stuck in the mailroom. 
And I didn't know it was there. And my assistant filed it. And the artist was very upset that it didn't call and tell them I got it and thought it looked great, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then the artist's friend called Mike. The artist's friend had Big Cloud, I'm not going to name a name. Okay, okay. But he was Big Cloud at the time, and he went, and it wasn't Frank. Uh, he <laughs> said, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, Lou Bank was a part of that. He was our marketing guy, uh, formerly of Marvel. Look him up. Um, and uh, he wrote an email to my then editor-in-chief, uh, Melanie Chadwick, saying that I'm a horrible editor. I did all these things, and, and I'm the epitome. When I heard the epitome of arrogance and responsiveness, <clears throat> I swear to my mom and dad, I said, and I've known Melanie for years, you know, she, when she did the Vampirella and all that stuff for Harris, I stood up and I said, Melody, <clears throat> no disrespect, but uh, fuck you, I quit. And I walked out. Yeah. And, and I really didn't mean to disrespect her, but I was talking to the whole company. I mean, right. Diane and I got them to number three. Right, right, you know, right, I mean, right. No, doesn't say Randy and Mike didn't do great things. So, but they brought us on for a reason, and we delivered. You know, and out of this comes a new publisher eventually. Yes, yeah. When I left, I sat quietly. Um, and um, well, yeah. Let me ask one question. So, were you also doing the Martha Washington stuff? I did a few of those. Yeah, okay. I think those. But that started war. before you. Yeah, I didn't do the Community Liberty. I believe okay. that was. Randy or Barbara, uh, Barbara Kiesel, Barbara Kiesel, one of those. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you leave Dark Horse and and then I sat quietly. Actually, when I was at Dark Horse, I tried to get DHP. I tried to get Richardson to let me uh, put Kevin Smith in DHP, and he wouldn't. You know what? I got turned on to Kevin Smith after Clerks, the right. movie. Right. It was a uh, just before um, the third one that I had, you know, just after Mall Rats is when I started to go, oh my God, you know. And we dressed alike. Okay. We did. Kevin was biting the Shrek style. He was stealing my shit. Trench coat. Yeah. Backwards cap and long hair. Yep. Smoking cigarettes. Smoking Smoking cigarettes. Yeah. So, uh, so once I left Dark Horse, um, Joe Nosmack, who I've known for, since he was 15, kid I met at San Diego is from Houston. Him and I, I actually hired him at Dark Horse. But that's a horrible story, but he, he got out alive. But oh my God. Um, it's amazing. He's still my friend to this day. He and I sat, and his stepdad had some money. And he was in the steel business. So we said, well, you know, let's get advice. So the the father, stepfather said, well, the market's down. You say the market's not really good. Well, what better time to get in when it's down? And then you, it rises up. And uh, he'd always said to Joe, I'll finance you, and, but not now. <laughs> so uh, we just went ahead and uh, and did it. You know, we just said, here we go. We're going to do this. And didn't make any prior calls. We put the shingle out first. 
And I got a call from Harris Miller, who at the time was Frank Miller's lawyer slash agent, mm-hmm. saying that Frank would like to give you a book that was already published in episodes in uh, the UK. Uh, I think it was called The Face, was the name of the magazine? Oh, yes. Right, yes. The Face. And the strip was Bad boy. boy. And he says, all you have to do is pay Simon Bisley for a new cover. Otherwise, it's free. We'll save the film. Like, And we even mentioned this, but we're talking about Oni Press. Yes. Yeah. yeah, The very first things that Oni Press got. And it was just, once again, you know, it's relationships as well as, you know, your your talent or whatever. I also had a great relationship with him. And he was like, I want my old friend to do well here. And we so we had Bad Boy, and we made a poster of that. Uh, and PHP? I mean, uh, Oni Presents? No, Oni Presents came later. Okay. In 97, when I met you guys, yeah. we had our connection in San Diego. Yeah. The Oni booth just had a poster up for Bad Boy. Right. And the poster for the Clerks comic illustrated by... Hernandez. Yeah, I want to get into this. This is right. And, and, only and, two images. And, a, and a sticker. Yes. Matt Wagner's sticker. And the logo. The logo, yeah, yeah. the artwork of uh, the two of them. And, I, and Kevin's first comic, I believe, was he wrote the 15-page Jay and Bob story for Only Double Feature Number 1 that Wagner illustrated. Right, only that's right. That's and I think right. you guys had samples of that here, but yeah. there, but Only Double Feature, the comic number one, had not come out. Right. So you guys were new, sitting behind a we table. We were. But we all yeah. knew, like, this was something dramatic and crazy was about to hit. It was really, I mean, when we had a really great party that year. Great. <laughs> it was one of the best you parties. You were telling me about <laughs> this earlier. We're going to talk about this right. on Monday. Uh-huh. Yeah. From your yeah. perspective. But so, but what I do want to talk about, because you're both here, is so you've got this Clerks comic. Right. You've got a Gabriel Hernandez cover, but Good no word. artist. Right. And you are at San Diego, Jim yeah. Food. Torturing us. Annoying. Just looking for work. Hungry. Hungry. To say the least. Everywhere we went, there was another something with his name on it and artwork behind our booth. Almost to the point I went into the men's room and was like, what the fuck? What's going on? I mean, he was just constantly in our face. Yeah. Just, you were firing. It wasn't yeah, being a pest. I, I had... I graduated college in 97, this was, 90, or, or, uh, yeah, and this was 97 San Diego, and, and um, I had, like, leftover art show flyers for my solo art show in Kansas City that I was just brought to San Diego and just putting them everywhere. Like, I don't care what the flyer says, I just want people to see my, my art. Right, right. And so, but I found out about Bob and Oni because I went to Dark Horse and talked to Jamie Rich. Okay. So and Jamie, Jamie, was, and Jamie was like, Jamie was still oh shit, she's like, you gotta go over to Oni and show Bob Strike your stuff. So was like, Jamie wasn't over with you yet. No, he was oh, still the Dark Horse. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's how OG this yeah. story is. Yeah, so, I, I love this. And, and Joe actually was the one after, I don't know, I don't know how long before, but finally he was the one who was just like, I don't know. Now, the, Kevin wanted, uh, Joe Casada uh, to draw. Right, yes. right. He's, He's like, this. like, like, no, <laughs> you know, no, I wouldn't want anybody like that to do this. That's not the aesthetic. That's not right. the vibe. This has got to be really edgy and really, really 
harsh. Like, these guys have got to be fucking cool. And Joe was like, huh? And I went, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, this is, this, let's go. Talk know? about Jim's work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, it just was a perfect fit. That's, right place, right time. Yeah, it was like, oh, my God, this is it. We got to do it, you know. Uh, it was the same thing when uh, we did Whiteout. Uh, it was the flip. Joe wanted a real cartoony style. Really? Yeah. And I was I just, I literally got up and walked Rucka over to uh, Steve, Stephen Lieber and just went, hey, just, you guys need to talk. I mean, I just knew that that was the right yeah. art for it, you know. So, yeah, you just smell it, you know, you yeah. feel it. You become a tastemaker. Well, you know what I mean? And I think yeah. that era, your guys' era of editor, I don't know if it's over now, but it's yeah. like young kids that are good at social media, whereas you and Diana were the era of like, no, you're curating right. a title and putting the right. team together. Right. You're like, oh, I think maybe you guys should work together. Right. I think right. this. That was the Amazon with Steve Siegel and Tim Sale. Yeah. It was right. like perfect. Right. And we knew Tim. Through the Donning books that he did, um, forgetting the name of that big epic thing that he did. Oh, it's out of my brain, but it was a yeah. big, beautiful black and white yeah. thing that he did. And, uh, and I'm like, oh my God. And then Siegel goes, hey, what about this? And Diana goes, of course, that's a great idea. And yeah. goes, it was a beautiful book. Um, way ahead of its time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you, so Oni launches. Only launches. We had the greatest party on earth. Um, I think that was the. I think that was the first party, where Hollingsworth. <clears throat> the great story was we were, yeah. Joe was there and Danny, and uh, wow. Joe's younger brother Danny, who's no longer with us. He was a great kid. Um, we were smuggling in our booze. Into one of the towers. Holiday at the Holiday Inn in Barcadero, yep. And we're smuggling it all in on a booze run. <clears throat> and we get up to the room and we're like, oh, God, we're getting nervous. I'm going to have to turn this off. But um, we, uh, Hollingsworth sees me at some point and he goes, uh, you're not going to believe what I just saw. And I said, what? He said, I'm standing outside the banquet hall. And I think, wow, something's really weird. What's, what's what's so odd? And then he realizes that everybody's eating, but there's nobody talking. So he kind of like kind of files it under whatever. And then somebody from the kitchen staff comes out with one of those racks with like a thousand trays of glasses on it mm-hmm. and it hits a bump. And the tray, the glass, everything goes crash. And no one looks. Because there's a deaf bowlers convention uh, staying at our hotel. They're they're all deaf. So so we're like, party. (laughs) And we did. (laughs) You can do anything tonight. But poor Hollingsworth, you know, he's been known to get a little high from time to time Mm -hmm. and just standing and crash. (laughs) <laughs> like, is this real? What prank is being pulled on me here? Yeah. Is this a dream? <laughs> Dude, what a, what, like, there's an organization of deaf bowlers? I sure. swear to God, I thought I said sure, that. Sure. Yeah. 
That's so specific. Yeah, I know. I, believe me, I know. I looked at him like, what? <laughs> Your party, though. Yeah, we had a great party. Yeah. So, Red Flyer, Oni, You Can Come. Yes. With the Mike Allred drawing. With the Mike Allred drawing. I'll have it one of my scrapbooks yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Because yeah. the fact that you invited me, because I was annoying you guys, like, <laughs> I got you, you might say, I was like, right. we'll be in touch. We'll be in touch. Okay, cool. yeah. And then, like, I told Sean you, today, or, I'm like, <laughs> Dude, I was so naive and didn't know the game that I just would keep coming back every day and being like, so, what's up? What are you doing? So, what are you doing? Like, you're like, yeah. well, we're here. We're, yeah, we're, we're you know. busy, man. Yeah. And then finally, like, we're having a party tonight. Only you can That's come. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I showed up solo. Yeah, no. And walked in, and it was like, there's Frank Miller talking to the Allreds. There's the Panda Brothers. There's Matt Wagner. Graham Morrison. Grant Morrison. Yeah. I was like, was my crazy. head exploded, man. Yeah. And you walked in alone, not knowing anyone. I mean, no, I again, Strat greeted me. He's like, welcome, kid. He's like, we yeah. got booze in the yeah. in the bathroom. The tub was filled with ice. That, just that, that was that era. And he's like, help yourself. Introduce yourself. You're, you know, I knew Diana. Jamie, sort of, and right. Joe, and, and Shannon was around. It was basically right. my age. Oh, yep. Shannon. Yep. Right. Yep. And a shout to Shannon. And oh, Shannon. he was always like my hangout buddy yeah, yeah. and then but dude the night ended for me though I got to smoke a joint with Matt Wagner on like the, the balcony yeah and as the party was ending and I was super high it was like a scene out of a movie where Matt Wagner was like welcome uh welcome to the club kid <laughs> That's so and I was just like what yeah. like floated <laughs> floated down the yeah. street back to my Woo-hoo. hotel like I think it's happening yeah. I think it's finally happening yeah like, but you, you fit. You it was you were part of. It was the yeah, perfect. It worked. Timing yeah. and just and it, it really is like talent, right place, right time. Everything has to come into a cosmic alignment. Yep. Yep. For for anything like that in life. Yeah, and we, you know, it, we're still here. Yes. You know, I mean, it wasn't like oh, you know, fuck that guy. No, we've been friends ever since. We've been friends ever since. Yes. You know. Uh, and and like I keep coming back to that really helps. Yeah, you know, for sure. It really does help. Um, I know many a time when I've been sitting around going, <laughs> just recently I'd say. Yeah, and then, yeah we're boom. gonna get there. We're yeah. gonna get there. Yeah. All right. So you build Oni up becomes a, a player. Yeah, it did becomes, pretty well, yeah. Yeah, I mean it wasn't well. a nothing little company. Yeah, but I was there I was expensive, you know. I mean I had the house and da 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 da. Uh, and you were here in Portland. I was living in Milwaukee. Yeah. When, yeah. When, when we started, it's still here, obviously. Yes, but it, yeah, it was out of my house when we started yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, does the fucking does DC come call? That signal got thrown over here. Yeah. So does DC call you while you're at Oni? Yes. Okay. That's a longer protracted. Danny, sorry. Dick Giordano and Pat Bastion were spent several years trying to hire me. Okay. They were the greatest people on earth, uh, great mentors, always giving of their time and their thoughts, their their uh, knowledge. Uh, Dick really, really fell in love with Phyllis Sorda. Uh, and he... 
he, I think he had a love for me and Diana too. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, he was a paisan, though. Right. You know, so him and, <laughs> him and Phil had, you know, they had blood, you know. And uh, he adored Phil and mm-hmm. was very helpful to Kamiko. <laughs> the hilarious party. They, uh, the guys, did, you know, they were nice guys, but they didn't know it. They were them. Hey, Pat and Dick, come on down. We're having a party for Kamiko. Come on down. They got to take the train. They got to go here. They got to get a cab. They get there and they're ready to go home. You got to go home. I mean, it was literally 15 minutes. Okay, here are the offices. Okay, bye. See you later. (laughs) They were the sweetest people, though. And they tried several times to hire me. Uh And it got to be a joke to the point where the last time Dick, uh, well, probably Pat, no, Dick and I were talking. He said, how about this? We fly you to New York. You get a week hanging out with your parents and your friends. We'll make you an offer. You'll go back to Dark Horse. Richardson will give you more money. And uh, we'll be back out in the cold again. <laughs> I said, sounds like a plan. And I flew out and yes. I turned them down. Um, it just wasn't the right, you know, as we're talking about, the right time. The Did right he place. get you more money at Dark Horse than he thought? Uh, I'm sorry, what? You said, so they would make Yeah, no, I did. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's like, hi, Mike. (laughs) I could go at any minute, you know. So, yeah, he would always go, okay, Bob, here you go, here you go. Um, So, anyway, uh, am I beeping again? Yeah, sorry. Uh, Where were we again? I get lost. Oh, so, yeah, so going from Oni over to DC. So, I'm at Oni. I'm not the cheapest date. You know, and uh, we, let's see, the first call, no, the first call was from Denny O'Neill. And the joke, the humorous thing there was, he's at D.C., Denny, and he goes to Mike Carlin. I want to hire Diana Schutz. And Carlin says, no, you don't. You want to hire Bob Shrek. <laughs> and he goes to Paul Levitz. He says, I want to hire Diana Schultz. And says, no, you don't. You want to hire Bob Shrek. He asks a few other people, like, no, you don't. You want, to, you want to hire Bob Shrek. So then, then he calls Diana. And she says, no, you don't. You want to hire Bob Shrek. Wow. So I was his last uh, option. But uh, <laughs> that's okay. Um, so... Uh, Jamie, myself, and maybe uh, what's, uh, I'm thinking your first name, Cluxton uh, Major, uh, China. China. I think she was there. Somebody was was there that we were working with. Anyway, I hands, hit the answering machine and. Hi, Bob. It's Danny O'Neill. I would like to uh, talk to you. And, and I'm just like, oops, well, right in the middle of the, this is my house. Right. It was a work day. And so I just looked at Jamie and went, <laughs> shut up, please. <laughs> <clears throat> the other thing that happened was we were doing an Oni day at uh, Joe Ferrar's Atlantis, Atlantis Fantasy. Cruz. Yeah, Atlanta and Santa Cruz. Which is the actual comic shop in, um, uh, yeah, Lost Boys. Lost yeah. Oh, yeah. The yeah, fucking, yeah. the Toad yeah. Brothers or whatever. Yeah. The yeah. Frog Brothers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's an actual comic shop. It's an actual shop. Yeah. It's Joe's shop. And Joe's we all shop. Got to sign and Joe's, like, a huge yeah, thrill. Joe's another, like, 
just an unbelievable person. Shows the shit. He's in charge of the retailer mag- uh, award at the Eisners. He's just the super nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. So we're having this only day. We got Doug Winnick there. We got China there. We got mm-hmm. you there. Yep. Scott and we're, we're Scott Morris. We're just having a good old time. Uh, not many people showed up, if I recall correctly. It wasn't a huge turnout. No, it was not a huge <laughs> turnout. I was very excited to be there. We were having a good time. So. Right. Store phone rings and Joe Ferrar picks it up and goes, you know, here I am. And Paul, this boy says, uh, can I speak to Bob Shack, please? And Joe goes, Paul? It's Paul Levitz. So once again, I'm fully outed, you know, yes. at this high. Uh, hold on. Call for Paul, from Paul Levitz. And I got to get on the phone and talk to Paul. And Ferrar was just like, what the hell is going on? And then I, they flew me out, and we did a real little bartering mm-hmm. terms, and then I got what I wanted, and and then I, I as I say, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. As <laughs> Batman group editor. Not at first. I was told that I would become the Batman group editor, but they wanted me to kind of settle in, which was smart. Okay. Yeah, that I remember. Yeah, I did some Green Lantern. Right. I did oh, some other things. Green yeah. Green. Okay. I actually worked with Benny on that uh, two-issue kind of reboot back to the Aquaman thing. Yes. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So, clearly, I'm not a historian. <laughs> you know, I, I absolved it all before, and I, I'm full. Oh. <laughs> so, you, you work on some books, and then you are in charge of the battle office. Yeah. Well, and you moved back. You moved back to the East Coast. For yeah, I moved to New Jersey right. and then started working there. Um, my first, uh, my first voicemail was from Pat Bastian, who her and Dick Giordano spent years trying to get me to go to DC. Mm-hmm. Hi, Bob. She was very New York, uh, <laughs> Queens. Uh, it's Pat. We finally got you. Mm-hmm. Congratulations for me and Dick. And so that was sweet. And the second call was Neil Gaiman. Hey, Bob, uh, why don't we do something? It'd be great. Uh, give me a call. It's like, yeah, well, nice. that's a shit day in there. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, thank you both. <laughs> um, and him and I did do a Green Lantern uh, story, uh, The Green Flame or something or other, that I think they still haven't reprinted. Gaiman wrote a Green Lantern? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, um, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, or uh, Tottleman drew a piece in there. Mm. A couple mm. of other folks did okay. some really nice work, yeah. And printed once, and they never reprinted it, I guess. So anyway, yeah, so uh, eventually, and then Frank, of course, uh, calls me, and right, yeah, it was a call. And it was, uh, hey, Shrek. And it was, I was live on the phone. He says, hey, Shrek, you want to go on a suicide run? <laughs> Which meant right. Dark Horse Two, you know, DK Two, Dark Knight Two. Right. Yeah. So that wasn't part of you. That oh. wasn't part of DC wanting back. Oh yeah, sure, but it wasn't. It wasn't uh, said. It wasn't said. Okay. I mean, I knew and they knew, but okay. and everybody hoped. Right. But it was not put out okay. in writing that Frank would do. Something. I was under the impression that was like part of the negotiations. No, but it was part of the. Okay, I just was an unspoken. Hey, if we get 
little Bobby over here, Frank, had a great time with him over there. You know? So Frank leaves you message. He just says, you want a suicide run? Because he knew everyone would hate it. Because they just want really? Yeah, because they just want it. I forget who said it. Bono or I don't know who said it. Churchill, I can't remember who said it. <laughs> but people don't really want something great. They just want something that reminds them of things that are great. Oh, uh, okay. Yes. And, uh, sure. and, and this was not what Frank wanted to do. He wanted, he wanted to go crazy. He wanted to have fun with it. He wanted to, to kind of do that Star Trek moment where, Jim, how do you feel? Young, you know, this right, kind of, right. you know, yeah, I got the crap beat out of me, but you can't knock me down, you know? Right. The spandex or lack of spandex, it was just, and Lynn Varley, who was won an award every time she puts her paintbrush to the page. Oh, she's the worst colorist that ever lived. <laughs> well, it was her first big digital and she, thing. She, but, but it, it was celebrated what digital was. Right. Yeah, yeah it was going back. It was yeah. doing the flares. It was, right. I mean, you know who helped her? <clears throat> Alex Sinclair. And Kyle Baker. And Kyle Baker, right. You know, so she wasn't listening. Yeah, yeah. Thing. This is what she saw. This is what what Frank was trying to convey. Mm-hmm. I want these people to be day low, you know, uh, without spending too much money. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and it you know a lot of people didn't like it in the mainstream, but Tony Millionaire got it. Paul Pope, I remember. Paul Pope got yeah. it. Uh, uh, James Kachalka got it. Mm-hmm. Everybody who didn't. I got the book when it was yeah. coming out. It was so fucking weird and psychedelic, yeah. and that's my sensibility. Right. right. It was right. over the, fucking crazy. It was over right. the top. <clears throat> even even the, the thing we did with Jim Lee, how people interpret things. Arthur, and I love Arthur, but he gets mad and says, Batnapped, because it's the title of the newspaper which is making sensationalism. Out of the fact that Batman didn't kidnap the kid. You saved his life. It's like, Arthur, are you reading this? Or are you just jumping out of windows for no reason? <laughs> you know, and I love him. But well, how? So, you're not 65 yet, man. At least back then. So anyway, yeah. I mean, people just want what they want. Right. And right, they don't right. get it. It's, you know, they're devastated. We had a great time. We had a great time on all three of the major books we worked together okay. with the, the uh, Two Sin Cities and the Dark Knight 2. So you you have your ride at DC? Yeah. Yeah. And it was a good run. I had a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Um, funny story about this the Scott Morris Batman book. Uh-huh. It wasn't approved ever by Paul. But somehow, um, Scott, who had never, he did one little Batman black and white story that was actually two colors, it was blue, I think, about uh, Alfred and the the dead Robin, as I like to call him. Um, (laughs) He was given the highest painting rate available at the time. Um, And that wasn't my fault. Uh, I will leave that person unnamed, but... But it was done without my knowledge, and so we we brought up this, whatever it was, sixty-four page book, and said, mm-hmm. Jim hey, Gordon. yeah, Jim Gordon's story." But it was, you know, 
It's called Batman in a Room Full of Strangers. And it was like, hey, <laughs> look at the page rate. <clears throat> Paul never signed off on it. And yet, Mike Carlin told me, don't, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll deal with it later. So I get the whole book in. Nobody wants to deal with it later. So I keep clearing my throat. Let's go up. Da, da, da. I was like, this guy did this book. It's sitting here. And I, you know, but he got paid. I mean, he got paid what, what was due to him. And uh, then I had to go up on a meeting. <clears throat> you got to remember, he got paid because everyone was breaking company rules. Mm-hmm. Even the people in the administration, right, they were right, all right. doing something wrong. The legal guy, everybody. So big meeting, Paul sits there with Carlin, and they say, uh, <clears throat> I call it my scene from Amadeus. Mm. Um, not enough Batman. We need more Batman. Well, the whole story pivots, and you don't see Batman. The guy, Gordon, goes to the shore to relax, and there's an obsessed little kid. Sees him, he goes, you're from Gotham City? And then the kid dresses up like Batman and actually saves the day. I think the kid dies in the story, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Saving somebody. Yeah. And at the end of it, Gordon has spent the whole time at the beach trying to relax, and who does he see the minute he gets home? Who says, miss me? It's <laughs> yes. a little punchline. They said, fix it. I lied and said I would. We published it, and it was, uh, I think it won a Harvey. or yeah. It won something for Best Single Issue of the Year. Yeah. Got nominated for stuff. And it, and it won one, yeah. one real award, and I'm like, well... That's called editing. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, you know, right. Leave it alone. It was perfect the way it was. And then you did Deep Vertigo. Then I moved to Vertigo. Before, yeah, that was the, right. the, the, yeah. But you got Jeff Lemire. Yeah. That, again, that's just the right timing. I was already reading uh, his uh, Essex County trilogy. Right. And fell in love with it. I was like, this guy's great. I knew Brent Warnock. Mm-hmm. I knew the company. I knew Chris Starnos. And I was not in a place to hire somebody like that because DC would never, ever consider Jeff Lemire. Right. No. Until <laughs> after I brought him in. Right. <laughs> Same thing with Brubaker. They would never work with Brubaker until I broke him in. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, and Lemire was, I was at SPX, I think. And Brett was standing there with him and Matt Kent's book. And he said, Shrek, <clears throat> I can't pay these guys anything. You know, I mean, we do this out of love. They don't make a pile of money, but, you know, maybe you could. And I went, oh, Lemire, I knew Lemire's work already. I was mm-hmm. like, shit, I'd love to work with him. And then the next thing I know, I was in Vertigo, and I had a place. So it worked out, you know, and, and he's. Yeah, he's doing so great. I'm going to see him in Baltimore in a couple of weeks. So oh, yeah. Nice. That'll be fun. That's awesome. uh, so, eventually, you're, you you and DC part ways. Yeah, I, I was part of a major faux pas, but I, I don't know if we need to get into all of that. Fun. But it, there were words that you could see through the blocked out word mm-hmm. area that were not supposed to be there. And it was a big raucous, and they had to get rid of the books or whatever. And uh, 
I eventually paid the price for that. But I still had a little t- more time uh, at Vertigo. I was doing some fun stuff there. And then eventually I said, okay, it's time. I was nine and a half years there. Okay. Well, so it was a good run. It was a good run. And, and uh, so you moved back to Portland? Let's see. What happened? No, not right away. I worked for IDW. Oh, right. Yes. Right. And then I worked for Legendary. Right. But when you worked for IDW, you were still in Jersey? In mm-hmm. Legendary? In Jersey. Oh, okay. We did all, for Legendary, we did, uh, we recolored, well, we colored uh, the One Trick Ripoff by Paul Pope. Right, did right. did DHP. Did the whole thing. It was all set to go to the printer, and the, uh, the owner of the company decided he didn't want to publish it. So we gave it to Image. And they were very, yeah, they came out through Image. They were very nice and gave me and my assistant credit for it. And uh, so it did see the light of day, which was great. But they just, you know, we had already flown Paul out to San Diego, first class airfares, beautiful hotels, you know, first row treatment, just great. You know, Frank was out. I mean, it was a crazy first couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I don't know, you know, Thomas, the guy who started the company, lost interest in losing money, <laughs> which was not what they said when we started there. This is R&D. We're going to bleed money like crazy. Until uh, they started to bleed money and went, ah, oh, I don't like bleeding money. Yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly it became a bad idea. But if you knew the budget that was given to me, that as a part of it said, we are not expecting to recoup any of these dollars on these products. Wow. And that changed within two years. Wow. So, yeah, it was a crazy time. But they treated me like gold. Mm-hmm. I mean, first-class airfare, everything, just the, the tops. It's just after a while the marketing fell out and Thomas got tired of it at a certain point. So and you're in, so you're still in Jersey. Still in well, mm-hmm. I was still in Jersey with them after I did first IDW, mm-hmm. then Legendary, and then we moved out here uh, soon after I, I started at Legendary. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, and when did you and Randy get married? Don't do that to me. <laughs> that a- uh, let's see. We're in Jersey. Two. <laughs> uh, Gosh, I really didn't, I can't even think about it. I'm trying to Five think. Five or six years ago? No, longer. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We've only been here for seven. So it's probably going on 11 years or 12 years really? or something. Really? It's been that long? Yeah, Holy yeah. Shit. I'm pretty sure. Time Don't twice. make me do math. <laughs> okay. So you come back here? <laughs> yes, this is my home. I love it here. Yeah. Uh, I always swore to everybody I'd be back, and I am back. Okay. So between... Legendary and now. Well, legendary that year, this is two years ago, I guess. Um, it was a rough year. I lost my dad. <clears throat> I broke my leg. And while I was in uh, rehab, which is an old folks home, really, um, legendary let me know that September 11th that year was my last. And that was how long ago? Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah, yeah. It was two years ago. So 
that was a crappy year. Yeah. And um, I was worried about uh, Greg Tamburello, who was my right-hand guy, he was my assistant. He was actually, the first time I met him was at uh, D.C. He was an intern. And just a really great kid and mm-hmm. really, you know, I, I, he's not a kid anymore, but to me, he's old school. You know, right. he really cares mm-hmm. and he really gets it. He's a good, good guy. He's a good guy yeah. and he's he's got some books that are just now flying uh, through, I think, Images publishing one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's just a talented kid and I felt like, you know, kind of, I needed to take care of him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and everybody was talking about uh, uh, Lion Forge at the time. Right. And uh, I kind of laid back and said, go ahead, see what you can do. And he got hired there, but they, they got rid of him a, a year later. Okay. And I interviewed with one of their guys after uh, Greg was there, and uh, it didn't go very well. The guy never called me back. And then four months later, he was fired. So mm-hmm. it was a very interesting <laughs> set of situations. But, yeah, so I think Greg is I'm trying to remember. I don't know if his – I know things are going well for him. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know if I can talk about it. Okay. Uh, and then recently – Recently, thanks to Jethro Tull, I have a new job at the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. What does Jethro Tull have to do? Well, that's what I didn't know until I asked. (laughs) I had assumed, I've known Charles since he was 16, Mm -hmm. Charles Brownstein, and he is the head of the whole shebang here in Portland. And uh, I had assumed that Diana was just kind of every week torturing him. Hire Bob, hire Bob, hire Bob, you know? So I asked after we negotiated what we were going to do, and I was on board, I said, Charles, why'd you reach out? You know, I've been here. Now, part of that, again, is timing. Alex Cox was leaving. He's now at IDW. All roads lead IDW. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so Charles had an immediate need, and he had no idea what to do. And I'm sure he was going through his Portland Rolodex, but he said to me, he put on a Tull album and went, oh, shit. Because he knows I'm a huge Tull yeah. fan. And that's why he called me. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so it's just... You know, the luck of the draw. Um, My dad, when I was a younger man living at home, my dad and mom would always have the same argument about me, you know. Uh, I'd be in uh, after creation, and I didn't have a job after creation. And uh, I'd be playing ColecoVision. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have to go to the Great Pyramids to find a copy of one of those machines now. <laughs> but, uh, it's out there somewhere. It's out there somewhere. My brother had a ColecoVision computer that, with a printer. It was so embarrassing. Wow. <laughs> it was like made out of Legos. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. It was really bad. It made my A-track recorder look, look almost professional. Yes. But anyway, um, where was I? Uh, so dazed and you were saying your dad? Yes. 
my mom would say uh, while I was in there playing ColecoVision, my dad would say, what's she doing in there? She'd be out getting a job. He needs to get out there and look for a job. And my mother would say, leave him alone. He knows what he's doing. Hmm. And then Marvel called. And I walked out of my room after I played ColecoVision and said, I start on Monday in Marvel Comics. Yes. And I'm telling you, when I walked out, and, you know, the first day when I said, yes, you're in for sure, I was with my friend Tommy Riley. And it was like, you know, it was like the opening to Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> this <is> embarrassing, <laughs> like, I'm conqueror of the world. Yeah. I'm working for the greatest comic book publisher on earth. Yeah. Holy cripes, you know. <laughs> lasted a year and a few months, but, right, right. you know, it was, you it was great. You know, Peter David was still working in marketing oh, at Marvel wow. at the time. And I got hired by Carol Kalish, who was a wunderkind. She was a very, very smart lady. Uh, and she was the head of marketing. But what happened was this woman, Lee Sapp, quit just before the summer season. And she took care of everybody's plane trips and hotels and mm-hmm. da, da, da. Because I worked at Creation, I already knew where Archie Goodwin wanted to stay. I already uh, knew what scene he liked. So I was like, click. I, you know. But I was hired for another person's department by Carol. So the day I get hired, and I'm wearing like a vest, a badger t-shirt, spikes, badger. Yeah, yeah, spikes, a leather spike thing. And this woman, Pam Rutt, who is the person who's in charge of the, of the group, walks in and goes, you are? I said, I'm Bob Shrek. She just went, Carol! <laughs> she knew. But I helped them through, and it was great. And uh, that's a whole other complicated story why I didn't get to stay. But, but yeah, it was a crazy time. It's amazing. Yeah. Crazy days. Well, that was the weirdest thing about the, People don't realize we would have publisher meetings with Paul Levitz, Carol Kalish, um, all these people from the big two. Right. And they were there because they knew that they needed to be in on this. They knew that they wanted to help us to, you know, sustain the industry because mm-hmm. they knew where it had been before. Sure, you know? sure. So it was great. But getting Dean Mullaney to sit in the room with the guy who ran Now Comics, uh, what yeah, was his wow, name? Now. Uh, no, first, Rick Obadiah. Mullaney hated Rick Obadiah. <laughs> Obadiah hated Mullaney. It was crazy, you know, so you're in this one room, like, just mm-hmm. calm down, you know. But anyway, crazy shit. What were your thoughts seeing all those publishers go away when it happened? <clears throat> just the nature of the business? Yeah, you well, must have seen a lot of yeah, on yeah. flow, or was it kind of like, oh, shit? No, it, it was, it's scary as you're watching others go down, you yeah. know, um, and sometimes it's inevitable. I mean, you know, we did a show, uh, a distributor show, where, uh, what was their name? They had a big fist. Techno Comics, okay? I remember that. Techno Comics, right? Yeah. Frank actually did a uh, Mickey Spillane book for them. Really? Oh, you got, he did a cover for them. Yeah, this is the cover. Yeah. Just the cover. Yeah, I remember this. Okay. I remember this. But they, they aren't directed him. So if you saw the original, he went, screwed it up on purpose. 
Because they're like, oh, we, what are you doing? It's like, what are you telling me what to draw this? <laughs> so, but they had them at this diamond trade show, right? They had this giant arm and their big P in it is holding his hand. I remember this comics. And there was smoke on the ground and this constant kind of uh, uh y kind of all day long. <laughs> <clears throat> Finally, somebody, another publisher walked up and said, hey, nice to meet you. Exchange pleasantries. Everything's fine. And the guy said, so when's your first book come out? The guy from Techno says, oh, it'll be out next month. And the person says, that's funny because I didn't, I didn't see any techno thing two months ago in the Diamond Previews, to which, to which the guy said, what's Diamond Previews? Oh. So here he was at Diamond, and even Diamond didn't go, hi, you know what? Before you buy a booth, because they're like, oh, okay, you're <laughs> yeah. stupid ass. <laughs> right. So they lasted all about two years, and they, they went down. And then uh. CrossGen, you know, you oh, can, yeah. you can yeah. see from a distance this isn't going to work. Yeah. You know, because they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Right, right. You know? Right. Diana and I did it out of desperation. <laughs> you know, yeah. We did it out of, well, what else are we going to do? We love this. So many people are doing it, like, because it's cool or because they they want to make a movie out of something. Right. It's like, well, that can't be your motivation. Crossgen is like, just join our call. Crossgen was founded. Move to this city. Stay in one place. But it was founded on the myth that the uh, Marvel bullpen existed. Right. Jack Kirby didn't hang out with Steve Ditko. No. Right. None of those guys they hung They go into Marvel every day and draw the books. They yeah. were on their own. Those guys were paste-up guys. Those were the guys who were to take yeah. care right. of the art, cleaning right. the art, rubbing off all the bad pencil marks. Yeah. That's the bullpen. Jack was in, the, what was the name of that? The Williston Park. Mm-hmm. Jack had it driven to. Well, not when I was that age. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, it was a really crazy time. And um, again, it was exciting. And like I said, we we had to make it work. You know, I've learned a lot from Diana mm-hmm. those first few years. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was more of a Marvel DC guy. And through her, I was like, oh, God, the Hernandez brothers, what the hell am I doing? You know? Right, right, yes. right, right. So, yeah, yeah. So right. she was a big educator. She's someone you need to talk to. Yeah, Diane, good luck. Yeah, yeah. The thought of it is yeah. a good thought. She's, she's tough to get a hold of. Yeah. She's a wealth of knowledge. Oh, she's she amazing. Sure, sure. She's, she's been teaching. She just quit teaching now. Finally, she got tired of it. Yeah. But she's been teaching. For, At the Portland School? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Both, both colleges for different different things. But she's, she's amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah. She says she's retired, but she's working harder than ever. Well, we just did a, a full circle. I was... Great, but we it's we've gone long. Hey, which no is worries, good. no worries. So, Great. Yeah. Unless perfect. there was anything you were really hoping we got to that we didn't get no, to. No, there's just so many stories. It's okay. We'll, we'll do another one. <laughs> I mean, one day I'll tell you the uh, Doctor Who story. Okay. Tell so, it off, off, off record. Off. Uh, what time right. is it? I should let you guys alone. It's 11:30. I should let you alone. I'm just chilling, man. Well, next time we will get the Doctor Who story. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, thank you, Bob. Thank you for having me.
You're fine. 